You're listening to The Art of KCF. This offering is called Bringing It Back and features an interview with artist Sharon Nordrum, which was released as part of The Art of KCF newsletter, issue 81, sent to email subscribers on December 1st, 2023. Last week, I had the opportunity to connect with Sharon Nordrum, a visual artist, dog trainer, and woman of many talents who shares the following about where she lives. Quote, Along the Necktie River, where the deer, eagle, bear, and crane call home, you can find me and my family. It was a pleasure connecting with her, so please enjoy an excerpt from our conversation about her creative practice and how it shapes her life. As well as living along the Necktie River, Sharon comes from a family of artists, And she and her son, Andreas, will be selling work at the 6th Annual Winter Holiday Artisan Market in Bemidji, which she organizes. While I'm sorry I couldn't share our entire conversation due to time constraints, I came away feeling more determined than ever to move some paint around. To see some of Sharon's beautiful Ojibwe floral motifs with the stories she's sharing through her contemporary paintings, please follow her page on Facebook. Ricky Ticks Art, that's R-I-C-K-Y space T-I-C-S, Art. Enough from me. Let's dive in with Sharon, introducing herself and her artistry. So, a little bit about myself. Well, I am originally from International Falls, and I moved down here with my son and my mom to live with my sister, we decided that we were all going to live together. And um, that was in 1996. My boy was four. I didn't want him growing up in the falls. Um, I wanted him to grow up in the country. I wanted him to not be pressured by what I was seeing with with, um, children, these, you know, in 96, children were way better than they are now, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but, um, yeah, um, so we moved, and my mom was ill. I took care of my mom. But when I was in high school, I loved art. I loved woodworking. I loved, I loved doing all of these things, and I was constantly doing them can't find my there it is um drawing pottery carving you name it I was I was doing it my art teacher told me that I had no future in art that I was mediocre at best um and that I should just give it up so you know When you hear that enough times, and I took every art class, even though he said that to me, I still took my art classes because it was something I loved. My woodworking teacher, he said that I was very good at woodworking. Um, But you have to have all the tools for woodworking, being poor, not having a studio. You know, it's kind of hard to have the planers and the saws and all the things that you need to, because I like building furniture. And um, so 
you know, that was kind of out of the question. I thought, okay, I'll make it through high school. When I get to Rainy River Community College, I'm going to take my art classes because they were offering stained glass. They were offering all these classes. I will have better luck there. Wouldn't you know it, that damn art teacher got the job at the college. And the, the artist that was there, um, he was a good friend of ours. He went on. Him and his brother are known for their glass working now. Um, they're out on the out on the west coast and um, make beautiful blown glass pieces. And I'm like, so yeah, I get to college and I have this art teacher that's still telling me, why are you even taking these classes? So you know, I did my art, but I only did it for my mom and my my sister, my son, and that you know, I really didn't even really share it with the rest of the family. Then my mom passed away in 2003 and I went back to a retail job, which was what I had always did was retail. I worked either with animals or I sold stuff for other people. Pomida shut down and I lost that job and I did not want to go back to retail. So this was in 2011 now. I was like, I, I can't. I can't do retail any longer. I don't know what I'm going to do. I never finished my degree. Didn't, you know, didn't go on to college. Really have no assets. But I got to thinking, I'm going to try my art again. So I started painting. Started doing some stuff. And then I was talking to my sister and I said, you know, I said, you don't see Ojibwe language. We're here in the heart of Ojibwe country, surrounded by three major reservations, and you don't see anything with our language on it. She's like, no, we don't. She's like, you don't see the floral anymore like you used to see floral. So I started working on those things, and I went to an elder, and I asked him, I said, you know, I don't want to sell the language. I don't want to be known for selling the language. But I want to make welcome signs. You know, what do you think? And he is like, I think that is a fantastic idea. So December of 2011, I was set up at my first art market selling Buju, Anin, and Bindigain signs. And I went at it with using recycled wood. Um, so I was using barn boards. Mainly it was to keep my costs down because I had barn boards. <laughs> but I also want, you know, I wanted to show people that you did not need all of this fancy stuff to do your art. I started out with those and I decided that every one of them was going to be a one of a kind. I was not going to mass produce multiple designs and of, of one design. And so then people started coming to me and like, will you put my clan on there? Will you do this? Will you, you know, will you put my family name on one? Um, can you make one with my son's Indian name on there? And so I started getting people coming to me because they really liked it. It was our language. 
it was the floral and that was the start it kicked it off gosh i am guessing that since 2011 that i have probably made 3000 different buju anin bindigain type signs along with garden signs doing these signs with our language on it um I've expanded, you know, I started doing other things, but it always goes back to the floral. I have to admit that um, I would like to move on to doing other things, but everybody keeps saying, oh, oh, can you do this? And it's floral. And I have made floral, my sister said, I, I never wanted to say this, um, but since her passing in May, I started having to speak for myself. And she's like, you brought floral back. You didn't see it. It was like going away. And now people are doing floral. You're starting to see more floral out there. And she's like, and it, I believe it all started with you. So I don't want to really take credit for that, but also knowing that, yes, I did do that. I also have brought back the insects. Um, people had stopped using the insects in with the floral, and that was huge. If you look back at old pieces of beadwork, um, there are spider webs in there. There are ladybugs, dragonflies, butterflies. All these different insects are in with that floral. Well, you can't have flowers if you don't have the insects, you know, and you're not going to have the insects if you don't have the flowers. So, you know, they, they're connected. And because they're connected and we're so connected to it, you know, that's that big web that we're all part of something that, you know, this, we're all connected. Um, so I put insects in my floral. Not every piece of floral that I do has an insect in it, but the majority of it does have, have somebody, somebody. And and I started referring to them as beings, as human hers. Um, and you notice that now people, when they're talking about them, they'll say him. They don't no longer are using it. I hate the word it. Nothing is an it, you know. Um, as long as it has a spirit, it is a being. It, it is somebody. And so... Um, I, I'm very caught, um, aware of that. And when I'm writing about them or when I'm speaking about them, I make sure that I always give them um, that, that right that they have as being a, a living being. Talking about the plant nation or the insect nation or whoever they are, making sure that they're not in it. And I think those subtle things, I think when you do those, that subtle 
way of teaching, it comes across a lot more and more people pick it up and it'll, you get a broader following of realizing who these beings are and talking about them in that way. So um, I just came back from the Woodland Indian Arts Show in Green Bay, Wisconsin. My friend, my best friend, um, she moved to Barable, Wisconsin a year ago in October. And her and I, we did art shows. Like, we, we were always together. If she was signed up, I was signed up. If I signed up, she signed up. And we were doing these art shows together. Well, now, you know, that that mainstay that you had, she's gone. So, you know, I'm doing my art shows here. She's doing her art shows there. But this one here came along, and we were in Menominee in June at a conference that I had signed up for in April. And um, John from the Woodland Indian Arts um, Committee walked past mine and was looking at my stuff, and he's like, do you know about our Woodland Indian Art Show that we're having in November? And I'm like, no, I don't know anything about it. And he's looking at Dee's beadwork and looking at my stuff, and he's like, you need to come. Well, it was a juried selection, so you had to submit your, you know, like a resume, um, a bio, artwork, and then they chose who was going to be part of this show. And then the right to set up at the show also. I'm like so nervous and I'm like, I said, D, I said, I don't even know if I want to do it. She's like, why? John said you need to come. So why are you so nervous? I'm like, what if he was just saying that because I was a stranger in a strange land? <laughs> and she's like, he did not say it like that. <laughs> so I signed up for it and I sent my stuff all off for it. And I got the confirmation that, yes, I was in the juried art show and <laughs> made the trip over there. And. It was, it was good. Um, sales were not as good as I had hoped, but, you know, they also said attendance was down. But I did place third in my category, which is two-dimensional art. Um, so that was pretty cool. My friend Dee, she got a, a third and a second in hers. She did, um, she does beadwork and she does beautiful beadwork, but um, she had incorporated photographs and beadwork in the one piece that she took third on. And in the second, um, she had deer leather, porcupine quills, beadwork, and um, a photo. So yeah, so that was really fun. So um, I came back on the 11th. 12th of November from doing that show and um, we're all excited we're we're going to do it again next year oh awesome yeah we're going to we're going to apply and we're going to try it all over again <laughs> yeah. well, congratulations on your third place um you know winning award that's amazing 
I was really super excited about it. Um, I have never entered a juried show before, so it was my my first time and to get a third place. Yeah, and it was funny because it, I got third place on the one that I wasn't even going to enter. Oh, I was like, I said to my friend the ne- the morning before, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to enter that one, and she's like, Why not? She's like, It's powerful. I said, I just don't think it's up to par with the other two that I'm putting in there. And she's like, yes, it is. <laughs> and then, don't you know, that's the one that, that got the third place. <laughs> Friends are so important. I feel like they can always see things in your work, or at least in my experience, in my work that I don't see. And yep. it's just so helpful to have that outside perspective. I really love the friendship that I have with Dee because, you know, we've been, I met her when I started doing the Anishinaabe artisan markets um, six years ago. I'm having my sixth annual winter holiday artisan market on December 15th and 16th this year. So I started doing them through Northwest Indian Community Development Center. They were looking to have an art show. Um, One of the ladies there, she had set up one, and it was not well attended, but it also wasn't well advertised. And having this um, background in retail, you know how important it is to get ads out and to get word about sales and events and stuff that you're having in your store well i she's like i'm gonna have another one and i said i'll help you with it and she's like oh okay well i actually took the ball away from her and i ran with it and i started doing stuff and i went above her head and um we had a little falling out there for just a wee bit because I did go over her head and went to her boss and started talking to her about the event and it was better attended. The third one that same year, I had 35 vendors signed up for it. So the first one, we only had like five vendors. The second one was about 10 or 12 vendors. By the time I got to my third round, I had 35 vendors. I had a two-day event that had drew in around 900 people, and people were talking about it. They were, like, so excited about it. And they're like, when are you going to have the next one? When's the next one? I want to be part of it. It was a holiday one, so I said, I will do another holiday one. So the following year, I did another holiday one at the Northwest Indian Community Development Center. And again, had around 35 vendors, had well over a thousand people in attendance at it. Everybody was um, (laughs) ecstatic with their sales and everything. I got called in to, to Northwest Indian Community Development Center around February, and I was told that they no longer wanted to do the shows. I'm like, why? Why do you no longer want to do the shows? And they're like, we just don't feel that it's the right fit for us. Hmm. I'm like, well, that's okay, whatever. 
I was talking to my sister and I'm like, I really want to continue doing this, but I need monies, you know. Northwest was funding a lot of it. I was doing all of the work myself. I wasn't actually, I wasn't even getting paid to do it. Um, I got a free spot. I got a free vendor spot and I got free. We did, they did all the advertising. So I had free advertising. Um, I went after a grant. And it was the first time that, what was the name of that company? It's like North American Indian something or other. They do special grants yearly. I can get you the name for it. Um, but they do individual. I wrote them and I told them what I wanted to do, how I wanted to support these artists by being able to put on this show and looking for funding for it. They wrote back and he's like, this is the first time that we've ever did funding for a group but we are going to fund you to be able to host this show. So I was able to do the third year one during the pandemic. The pandemic shut down the state again, the day of our show. And I, I was out at the Eccles Community Hall because I couldn't find a place to rent. I contacted them and said, what are we doing? The state is setting, shutting us down again. And they're like, you have everything all set up. We're going to let it go. You said that you would take all the precautions. Well, they checked in on us like multiple times. Board members from the Echo community came and walked through. And I didn't know who they were. I'd never met them before. And when I turned in the key, uh, Linda told me, she's like, they were all so impressed with how you managed that. Mm. And, you know, they all, everybody felt safe. I got people stopping me in the street telling me how safe they felt attending that event and being able to shop and see the artists all during this pandemic. Um, that lasted all through January. I would get stopped and they're like, oh, it was just wonderful. You know, thank you so much for doing that and all this stuff. You know, it just made you feel just so good. And so then Eccles is kind of out of the way. Um, I started looking around and I found the Bemidji Carnegie Library, which has all been restored um it's stunning in there absolutely stunning place it has an elevator there's because it's stairs and they have to go upstairs but there's an elevator so it was handicapped accessible easy for the artists to be able to take their stuff up and down because of the elevator and all that so the next year we got i got an rsdp um grant from the University of Minnesota. Um, that is the Regional Sustainable Development Partnership. I put together a proposal and got a grant for us to have multiple shows. So we were having small ones throughout the year, but the major one was going to be the holiday show. And so we moved to the Carnegie and the feedback from it was, amazing 
I also did it last year. And last year when I got to the Carnegie, the first year when we did it at the Carnegie, like there was no Christmas decorations. It was like, you know, it was just, it was just the building. Um, last year when we got there, they had this beautiful tree decorated in blues and golds, silvers. Um, there was garland on the mantle. It was just really pretty. And I'm like, oh, you decorated it so pretty. And they was like, yes, we decorated for your show. And I said, that's the only reason you decorate? And they're like, yes, we decorated for your show. That's awesome. Because you're here the, the second year. So we are going back again this year. Um, I have 15 artists signed up for it. I've had to turn down five. Uh, there's just not enough room in there. I don't want to move because I am now established there three years i've had people saying oh you know is this artist going to be there um i do a lot of advertising a lot of facebook a lot of radio ads mm -hmm. all this type of stuff um <clears throat> to promote all of these fantastic artists um there are out of the 15 um Eight are native. I include. It might be nine. I might not have included my son because <laughs> we we have our booth together. So when I do fifteen, I you know, <laughs> so it could could possibly be nine. Like I don't know if I counted him or not. When I was just going down the line, but. Um, I'm still really, I'm geared towards helping the Native artists. But my thought process is, is that I can't help them if I exclude the white community. The white community has to be there and has to be involved. And then we build this bridge between the two because an art is what's bringing them, bringing us together and so that is the whole goal behind the the market is to help bridge this this oh, this racism that we have in our area Bemidji is probably the most racist place I've heard DL is bad but I think that Bemidji is worse. Um, and I'm hoping that every year this, this is just building a little bit more and bringing people a little bit closer together and realizing how much we have in common and how much, you know, we, we love art. We love all these things. We love where we live. And I think Eventually, crossing my fingers, hoping that we will get there someday that, you know, that racism will kind of fall to the wayside. But, yeah. That's so wonderful. So the market is December 15th and 16th. And what time can people find you there? 
On December 15th, on Friday the 15th, we are going to be open from noon until 7 p.m. And then on the Saturday the 16th from 9 until 3.30. That's so wonderful. So one of the, the goals of my newsletter project is I spend a lot of time thinking about what I call the joy of creative inquiry. So I'm wondering if you can tell me about what brings you joy in your creative practice and or in this organizing that you do of bringing people together. Well, the organizing was... Um just seeing other artists succeed and have their work and themselves validated. I, I take so much joy in that. It is so hard to put yourself out there. Um, you know, I've had people criticize my art. I had an art teacher that criticized me. Um, so making a safe space for them to come. I've had a lot of first timers show up at my sale. That's actually how I met Dee. It was her very first time. And I was standing there talking to her and she was so nervous. Um, she had never did anything like that before, but she was trying to pay for her mom's funeral. So she was selling her star quilts and a little bit of beadwork. And that's what kicked off our friendship, you know, and then her son, the first time that he brought his art, um, also totally nervous, didn't want to be there type of thing. Um, I was laughing and joking with him. He was like, at the end, he was actually, he had sold some pieces, so I was really excited. Um, so seeing the joy that they have, you know, it just, that's what feeds my soul. And what brings me joy is in my art, I tell stories with most of my paint, my canvas paintings. Very rarely is there a canvas painting that doesn't have one of our Ojibwe stories worked into it. And so I like putting them out there and seeing who recognizes the story. That I find, I just, like, when somebody comes up and they're, like, looking at it and they're, like, oh, you know, I'm, like, yes, you got it. You got it. That's awesome. You know, I'm going to be working on a piece here in January. And um, it is huge. It's going to be a huge piece. Um I think that it is, I think the canvas I bought is 36 by 48. Um, normally, I have a TV tray. My studio is a TV tray. <laughs> so working on these big canvases is like the one that you have behind you, this big canvas, is almost impossible for me to work on because of the small space that I have. And so... Um, but yes, he is going to be a story and I am just, I'm so excited to get him out of my head and onto canvas. And I'm hoping that what is in my head 
comes out on the canvas because he's going to be uh, it's going to be a black canvas. Painting on black is really hard because you can't mess up. I have a black canvas with a black bear on it, and I messed up a couple on a couple of spots, so I had to paint the black canvas. The blacks are not identical, so in the right light, you can see where I painted over the black canvas. And so he is here. He's not going any place unless I get really tired of him, and then he'll be put out in the woods, you know. Um, but but um, yeah, I can't sell him <laughs> because he's got mistakes on him. <laughs> And my son is like, only you see the mistakes. And I'm like, uh, no, it is pretty damn obvious there. <laughs> that is a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so Dee does that too. She'll like send me a picture and she's like, look at this mistake. I'm like, looking, looking, looking. Like, I don't know. I don't know what. What is, she, what is she talking about? And I'm staring at this picture trying to figure out what in the hell is the mistake in here? <laughs> that's so funny. I know we can see our mistakes so easily. And that's like all we can see, right? Every time we look at it. Exactly. You you know, I don't see if I have a mistake in something, it's got to be corrected because otherwise I can't move on because all I see is that mistake. And my dad had given me a plaque because I've been like this my whole life. Like, I did not like making any kind of mistake. I wanted to be perfect. And my dad gave me a plaque when I was about 10. And he is like, the only perfect thing was made by God. Only God can make perfect. And I'm like looking at, it's still hanging up in my room. And I'm like looking at it and I'm like, what are you trying to say, dad? <laughs> and he's like, I'm trying to tell you that you are perfect, but whatever you create is not going to be. And then I learned, um, it was a while after that, that beaters are supposed to have one bead out of place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um because you are not perfect. So there's supposed to be one bead. So sometimes, you know, unless it's a, a major mistake, sometimes if it's like a line that wasn't supposed to be there in the floral, I wasn't planning that vine to go that way or something like that. I will leave those behind, but like, some things are just, you, you can't, you know, crooked eyes, you can't leave crooked eyes, excuse me, but no, I'm not leaving that, uh, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, I really have troubles with animal noses, especially like on bear, to make that, the nose look nice and long. All my bears look like little bear cubs because it, they're short, and I'm like, how do I make this longer? How do I shade this to make this look more natural, more like what he's supposed to look like? So, you know, sometimes those kind of mistakes I can live with, but some I just, I, I can't. 
What kind of paints are you using? I use acrylics. I've tried, I tried oils at one time. I can't stand how long it takes for it to dry. I'm not patient when it comes to waiting for drying. And then Shirley, before she passed, she wanted to get into watercolor. Mm. Um, so we have three watercolors that she did. Um, the one even she admitted wasn't very good. She didn't use enough water. It was more of acrylic rather than a watercolor. Um, but the second two that she did were fantastic. In fact, I have them made up in, in different things and we sell them at, at, at our vendor shows. Um, so I have watercolors and I might try doing some watercolor. I don't know um, if I really, if I want to do that or not. So there's, it's sitting there on the shelf. It's there if I want it. So earlier you mentioned when you moved to the country, you're located between three reservations. So that'd be White Earth, Leech Lake, and Red Lake. Uh-huh. Um, tell me a little bit about what it's like living where you live and how does that inspire your art? Living here, we're surrounded by nature. You know, I got the Peleated Woodpeckers in the spring, summer. I have the Sandhill Cranes out in the back. I have the eagles are close by. You can hear the owls. You can hear the loons at night in the summertime. And it, you know, we got maple trees. Um, just down the road, I got tamaracks. I got willows. This area, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful area. We have contemplated moving a few times before my sister passed. It was big on the list that we were going to move, but we were going to move to Wisconsin, are actually down by um, the Marine St. Croix um, area because it is so beautiful. I love rocks. I love rock formations. If you walk through my house, you are going to see multitudes of rocks. I have rocks all over the place. I have bowls, jars. I love rocks. My whole family has always loved rocks. My mom had rocks. My dad would bring home rocks. Um, so, yes, I'm looking at my shelf over there that's just loaded with rocks. They're all dusty right now, but they're there. <laughs> So we have talked about it. Andreas and I have still a couple of times talked about it, but we're kind of vested here. Um, a move in some ways would be nice. In other ways, it would be like, you know, you're starting all over again. Um, granted, I don't have very many friends here, but, you know, I do have my community here. Community is different than friends, I think. Um, you know, the friends that you hang out with and go have coffee with and stuff like that. I, I really don't do that kind of thing. Um, but being involved in my community, getting out there and going to the meetings that I need to go to, um, having the workshops that we do, doing the like snow snake tournaments and, you know, all these different things, doing those type of things are very important. And all of those things fulfill me, 
And when you're fulfilled in those areas, then you can just let that artistic ability flow. And because you have nothing but goodness and a full heart and a clean, clear mind. And it allows you to see these visions and see these different things to help you make, create something that I can look back and I can say, hey, you know, I painted that after or, you know, because of because of a conversation I had with somebody, I thought of that and I painted that. So sometimes I wish I had a few of the pieces, but like I didn't know that I was going to lose my sister. So the last piece that I painted that she sat in her chair and we were talking and I was painting it and then I put it out at a sale and it sold right away. I didn't know I was going to lose her. So I kind of wish that I had that piece, but it went to the person it was supposed to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your creative <laughs> adventures and all of that. It's so lovely getting to chat with you. Yeah. It was nice yeah. chatting with you. Thanks so Take much. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Art of KCF. The Art of KCF newsletter and podcast is a fiscal year 2023 recipient of a Creative Support for Individuals grant from the Minnesota State's Arts Board. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota thanks to legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. The Art of KCF is created, written, produced, and edited by me, Candice Creel Falcon, with musical editions by Mountaineer via Upbeat. For a full transcript of the audio, plus all the features of my newsletter, like book reviews, creative links that inspire me, and an update on what's happening in my studio, be sure to find me through the link in the show notes. Till next time, may the joy of creative inquiry guide your path.